This morning, we're going to jump into a series we're going to be for the rest of the summer uh, called All. And it's a series uh, that we're going to jump into where we're going to be looking at these ideas and topics of how we are to live wholeheartedly in our young adult seasons of life. Um, so we're really going to step back, ease into the summer a little bit, and um, look at, kind of do some reflective soul uh, processing and looking at how we, both specifically and corporately, are to live as the people of God in our young adulthood. So um, this morning, I want, to, uh, I want to give some attention to something, a message that we're titling, Life with Him. And we're going to help answer the question, how are we to live in such a way where God has all of us? Uh, And so let's settle in this morning and uh, let's pause and open our hearts to the Lord and give this morning to him and invite the Holy Spirit here. And as we close our eyes and prepare for this quick moment of silence, I just want to invite you, if you've been carrying some things this weekend, um, if life just kind of hit you sideways this past week or even month or season, Uh, If you're feeling a bit heavy, if you're feeling a bit discouraged, just would you chuck those things at the foot of the cross this morning? Would you say yes to the yoke which is easy and the burden which is light? So let's come, let's center ourselves, and let's look to the Father and let him have the first word this morning. This morning, Lord, would you be our good shepherd? Would you be the one who characterizes himself as the God who makes us lay down in green pastures and who leads us beside still and quiet waters? Would you be the God this morning that you promised to be that restores our soul? And that leads us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And that you have the audacity to say that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with us. And therefore, we're not going to fear and we're not going to be insecure and we're not going to be anxious. But you are with us, our King, our Lord, and our God. So would you be that this morning? Would you be our good shepherd? Would you lead us in the ways that we need to be led specifically in our lives, and we ask that as we open the scriptures and as we discuss and as we engage in life here as the body of Christ and his new life young adults, would you be present here in a really sweet and intimate and palpable and profound way? We invite you here, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would teach us and instruct us according to your truth and your word, and we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. All-star games are the worst part about sports. 
How many of you just like don't really like the Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Star Games or the MLB All-Star Games? They're, they're, it may be a controversial opinion, but I'm going to go on record and say that they are the worst part about sports. And here's why is the Pro Bowl and the MLB All-Star Game and the NBA All-Star Game have notoriously bad ratings, first of all. So when you do some research and when you look at the ratings of weekly NFL games or NBA games compared to the All-Star Games, the the ratings for the All-Star Games are like a fraction of the amount of people that watch regular games week in and week out. But the thing is that you got all these hotshot athletes who just don't really care. They're kind of coasting a little bit. And, and granted, they don't want to get hurt, right? So they're not going all in. And you got Drew Brees kind of just flipping passes like, yeah, whatever. And Kevin Durant playing half-hearted defense like, okay, yeah. They're the worst part of our sports because the players are half in. The players are half-hearted. The players are not giving their all to a sport and to a game that really requires them to be all in. Because the best games in sports are those where you're laying it all out on the gridiron and you're on the court going for it and your team is sweating like nobody's business and they're playing hard. Those are the games we want in sports. Well, such is the life of faith. The life of faith uh, is designed for us to live it in such a way where we live wholeheartedly with all of us where the entirety of our lives is enraptured in this life that is lived for God. And so we're going to be unpacking these ideas of living wholeheartedly this series, but I think that... um, I think that when we look at the life of faith as such that ought to be lived wholeheartedly, it really reframes some of the specificity of our lives. Because so often in our young adulthood, we got so much going on. We got uh, classes that we're trying to pass. We got jobs that we're trying to land. Uh, We have friendships that we're trying to cultivate. We got the girls or the guys that we're trying to woo. We have all these different things going on. And it's easy to just let it slip a little bit in the life of faith. It's easy to coast. It's easy to check out a little bit. It's easy to uh, turn this life of faith and this relationship that we've been beckoned into into something that it was really never designed to be. Um, You know, Jesus talks about this in a very well-known passage of Scripture that I'm sure many of us are well acquainted with. But he sets the bar fairly high when it comes to how we are to live and in what shape our lives are to take on in relationship with him. And we find this in Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40. Uh, And here's what the passage says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, 
This is what God was up to when he gave the law to his people. This is what the prophets were attesting to. This is what the psalmists were writing of. This is what the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures is attesting to, that we are called to live this life of wholehearted living. This was the destination that God was trying to take his people on through the law and through the wilderness and through the prophets and through the history of Israel to get them to live in such a way where the entire of their lives, heart, soul, mind, strength, the entirety of their being is lived for him. And I think when we read these passages such as this and this one in particular, I think we can feel a good amount of weight when it comes to this. Because if we're going to contextualize scripture, we look at it and think, okay, well, what does that look like though? As a junior in college, what does that look like for me? As an engaged man or an engaged woman, what does that look like for me? As, as someone who has just graduated college and is looking for a job and who has applied for nine and gotten rejected for nine— How does this look for me? And I think we can carry a good amount of weight with it and feel like our lives have to look a certain way. But I think it's important to uh, clarify the command that Jesus gives with another command that Jesus gives and and really an invitation that he invites us into. I think uh, there's two shapes to living wholeheartedly because the second one is found in John chapter 15 verses 4 to 5 when Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you abide unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. Jesus calls us to live for him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and lay it all on the line and just give the entirety of our lives to him. And yet he says also, abide in me. Live life with me. Journey with me. Come to know me. Uh, Converse with me. Commune with me. Live this life for me and with me. And I think the two go hand in hand. Uh, In Matthew, we see, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, living for God. But then Jesus also shows us the very important place that living with God plays in this life of faith. Because he even goes so far as, as to say, without me and apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing. The prophets attested to this. Isaiah specifically attested to this when he said, even our righteousness is as filthy rags before you, O God. We got nothing here. We are absolutely and utterly stripped bare of any possibility of pleasing God apart from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Live for God, but also live with me. There's invitation here. Commune, converse, live in intimacy with me. And so I think scripture shows us specifically the teachings of Jesus that we are called to live for God, but we are equally called to live with God. 
for God and with God. And I think we can put a lot of emphasis on for God. Uh, I, I got to be a good Christian and I got to walk the walk and I got to talk the talk and I got I to do the things that Christians do and I got to go to church and maybe I join a small group if I'm an extra good Christian and I got to read the Bible maybe once a day and I, and I got to do these things and do and do and do. But I think what we miss sometimes is living with God. Because if we try and live for God without with God through the presence and abiding uh, life of the Holy Spirit in us, then it really quickly turns into moralism, doesn't it? And if our life of faith is exclusively built on us trying to live for God apart from him, then we get into the territory of trying to appease some distant deity, trying to do these things and throw some good works up to the sky, hoping that this distant, angry deity can be appeased. And yet Jesus says, live for God, but also live with me here. Don't for a second think that this life of faith can be deduced to that which you just do and not be. Where you do these works apart from a life-giving, abiding, rich, intimate, communal fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ, living for God and living with God. And you know uh, who understands this possibly better than anyone is Jedi. (laughs) Buckle up, some Star Wars exposition coming at you. I'm going to Ben Wyatt it real quick, okay? Jedi. I'm going to be unabashed. I don't even care. Jedi are tasked with upholding the peace and the goodness of the force in the universe, right? There's an an entire Jedi order that's tasked with living in the goodness and the peace of the force and really establishing that to the universe as well. And the Sith obviously are completely opposed to that because they think there's actually more power that comes apart from just the good cutesy life. And so the Jedi, the one thing that they have to have in order to establish the goodness and the peace of the force in the universe is what? Not their lightsaber. I knew, I knew that answer was coming. (laughs) Not their lightsaber. The force itself, okay? They got to have the force in order to establish the force. They got to know and be in tune with the goodness and the peace and the life of the force if they are going to live and, and establish the goodness of the force. And the, I, I know I've lost like half of you, and that's okay. I'm just going to simmer in this. This is good. Such is the life of faith, and such is the journey of faith that we're on. Uh, I think that there is an inseparable connection with living for God and living with God. We cannot live this life of faith. We cannot follow Jesus wholeheartedly if we're not living with him in the first place. This is not some disassociated life that we're called to live and busy ourselves with, and then maybe uh, if we're good enough, we make it to heaven. But instead, it is this uh, rich life, walking, uh, communing with the Lord on, on the journey and on the road and living with him and speaking speaking to him in the variety of our circumstances and having a warmth and a tenderness that comes with a relationship with God. And when we live in the abiding life and presence of God uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are able and equipped to live for God. This isn't some do this apart from the Lord, but it is abiding with God, which is the beginning of living wholeheartedly. Um, and really, this is what it means to be in the imago Dei of God, the, the image of God. 
when we look back, we, we see a testimony to this living for God and living with God, even in our very origins. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, God created, obviously, the heavens and the earth and the, the beasts and the birds and the sky and the sea and the vegetation. And then he gets to man and woman, and he creates them in the image of God. And he says, come, let us make God not make God, let us make man and women in our own image. Let us make these creatures that have uh, exclusively more than any other creature and set apart from any other creature. Let us make these creatures with the capacity to love and to choose and to reason and to will and thus to have relationship. And so we were created in this Imago day with the capacity for relationship. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God kind of sicks man and woman on creation. And he says, you are carriers of my image. You are bearers of my personhood. My nature is expressed through your life. So go and rule. Go get them. Rule over the birds. Rule over the sea. Rule over the animals. Exert your dominion, your God-given authority over all creation. Oh, and by the way... I'm going to dwell with you and walk with you in the cool of the day. So I'm not just sicking you on creation and having you do some things and busy yourselves, but I'm actually, that God-given capacity to love and will and reason and have relationship, I'm going to satisfy that as you work. It's ruling and it's having relationship. It's for and it's with. We see this at the very core of our being. At the very beginning, God designed it to be uh, a part of our lives, to live for him and to live with him. This is not two different things we're talking about, but in fact, they are intricately and intimately connected. Why? Because I think um, this narrative that we've been a part of in creating us, God ordered for himself a people and fashioned them and shaped them and made him into his image and and he gave them relationship and ruling. But then now we're called to live and to dwell with God, with Jesus, walk with him uh, through the Holy Spirit and to live for him. And then this is also the life that we will be living in the life of the world to come. Where Revelation 21 says that, that I will dwell with man that they will be my people, I will be their God, that there is this, this exchange, this divine relationship that we both were created for in the beginning, we're invited to live in now, and we will live in it in the life of the world to come. And ultimately, I think I would be so bold as to suggest this, that down to the deepest parts of our souls, we were created for communion with God. And if this desire remains unsatisfied, then we will inevitably go to false gods, false fathers to satisfy it. This is where the rubber meets the road in our lives, created to live for God and with God. And yet, in the Imago Dei, in the deepest parts of our souls, we were created for communion with God. We were created to know him. We were created to love him. And if this desire goes unsatisfied... If we kind of check out, if we hit coast, if we don't continue to press into the life and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, and this desire goes unsatisfied, then we will inevitably run to false gods or false fathers, false love, false comfort, false acceptance, false sense of belonging to satisfy this God-given capacity for relationship in us. And how often does this happen in our lives? Where so often we can feel the pressure just to be good. Okay, I gotta, I gotta do the Christian thing. I gotta 
I got to pray. I got to read the Bible. I got to do whatever it is that I've been taught as a kid to, to be a Christian and, and walk this walk. And we try and do it. And all of our attention sometimes can kind of shift to just being good, however we define it. And we try and we try and the pressure inevitably builds and it builds and we feel this internal and maybe even external pressure from people around us to to just to do the thing and to walk the walk and to live this life. And so it builds and it builds. And in that pressure and in these cross pressures of the life of faith, if we stop communing with the Lord and if we stop walking with the Lord and if we stop practicing these these times of silence where we just sit and and just are before God and if we stop practicing times of prayer, and if we stop digging into the scriptures, and if we stop communing with the body of Christ, and if we stop walking step by step with him in a life-giving relationship, then our hearts begin to grow cold. Is this sounding familiar? And then all of a sudden, we, that God-given desire for relationship, we then try and, and fill it in other ways. And we go to pornography, and we go to Snapchat and Tinder and social media to fill this companionship and this hole in our lives. And we go to these sins, and we try uh, to go to these false gods and these false fathers to satisfy this God-given capacity for relationship that we left along the road in the first place. Because if we live with God, and if we walk with him, and if the, the, the orbit of our lives revolves around God and with loving him and communing with him, then our lives take on their fullest and intended shape. That we're satisfied in the deepest parts of our souls. So why the heck would I go to this atrocious sin? And why would I try and seek belonging and acceptance over here? Because we're satisfied and we're living with God. And then our lives, we're equipped and positioned to live for God. And sometimes we can so deduce uh, and reduce the gospel to just doing things. That living wholehearted and living all in just means that I do the stuff and live the way that I really, the Bible says to live. And there's definitely a portion to that that's living for God. But if we only reduce the gospel to that, that's really not the gospel. Because the gospel is this invitation from Jesus, come abide in me and I in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, when we look at this gospel message, this invitation to abide, this invitation to live for and to live life the way it was intended to be lived, we see the bleeding heart of the gospel is that contrasted with other religions where they say, you kind of get your stuff together and then maybe, just maybe, if that stuff's good enough, it'll appease the distant and, and, and uh, deity up there in the sky and he'll then bring you into eternity again, it only if you're good enough. The gospel says that God made a way for us to live with him through the person of Jesus Christ. That this father, knowing that even our righteousness is filthy rags and that we're nothing without him and we can't give him a dang thing in our own strength, that he did what could only be done himself and sent Jesus to live uh, with us. And then Jesus said, actually had the audacity to say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going back to the father and my work here is done. And I've, I've been crucified and resurrected. And now I'm going back to the father. But this story is not over. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter who will guide you into all truth and dwell with you. You see, we serve a God who is and who has characterized himself and who has had the audacity to reveal himself to his people as Emmanuel, God with us. 
and then God with us, that allows us to live for him because we're not doing these things just out of rote ritual, but we're doing them out of love and out of a capacity and a heart and a warmth and a tenderness to truly love God and to live life the way it was designed to be lived. And I think some of us, when we look at our lives, um, I think we have reduced the gospel to something that it's not. And we've reduced the gospel to a checklist of things that we have to do. And we've reduced the gospel to being good. And yet the gospel is living and abiding with Jesus, walking with him on the road. And then as a result, when we're locking our eyes uh, with Jesus, when we're fixing our gaze on him, the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him took on the cross, despising a chain, when we fix our eyes on that Jesus, then our lives find their proper order and we can't help. We're irresistibly, by the irresistible person of Jesus Christ, drawn into a life of obedience that says, all that I am is yours. Jesus, have everything. You are worthy of it all. Every breath of my being comes from you anyway. In you, Colossians says, I live and I move and I have my being along with all creation. It is you who is the first and the last. You who is the alpha and the omega. You who is the pinnacle of all creation. It's you that I live for. In this spot of intimacy and life and communion with Jesus, then we can live for him. Not apart from him, but with him. Our lives find their meaning. And so this morning, you know, I want to really leave some space to discuss and to talk at our tables. So uh, before we jump into that, I just want us to quiet ourselves for a second. I want us to close our eyes again and to engage in a moment of self-reflection. And we're going to talk and we're going to discuss and we're going to kind of get back to this thing. But I want you to just have a moment in your own soul with the Lord who is present and available to you. I want you to look at your life and I want you to just maybe write some thoughts down, put them on your phone as they come, but, but look at your life and would you be real honest with yourself and pinpoint the areas where you've stopped living with God, where you've reduced the gospel and life for the Lord to just that, life for God. You're doing and you're doing and you're doing and you're ramming your head through the wall and you're doing everything you possibly can to be a good Christian, yet the tenderness is gone and the warmth is gone and the communion on the road and the journey of life is gone. Where is that in your life? What part of your life do you need to return to the house? To come out of the fields and to leave the pigs and to leave the slop and to come back into the father's house what part of your life is that whatever it is lord we're here before you as people who are utterly dependent upon you we are not so arrogant to think that even a single breath in our lives comes from us or from our own strength, but it all comes from you. All is grace and all is gift. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of heavenly lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. It's all from you, O oh God. So Lord, would you align our lives to your purposes and would you draw us back home? the areas of our lives that are out in the countryside and separated from the Father who's at home, would you bring us back? 
and help us to know as we discuss and as we talk about these ideas, how these apply to our lives. Help us to know what we are to do and how we are to live in such a way where we live life with you and thus live life for you. Bring us home, O God. We say all that we are is yours, and if it's not, then let it be yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, enjoy discussion, you guys. We got three questions up on the screen. Uh, Unpack, be honest, be vulnerable. Talk about how this pertains to your life of faith. And uh, we'll pick this up here in a little bit. Much love and bless you as you discuss. All right, young adults, let's wrap up here and let's stand. And if you want to continue discussing and nuancing and ideating, that's great. But let's pray and first recognize that there is wonder and awe on the journey of this week. If we live life with the Lord, there is warmth and tenderness and wonder to be seized. So, Father, we love you. We pray that you would go before us this week. We ask that everything we give attention to, everything our hands touch, everything, every conversation we engage in, every relationship we interface, we ask that you would be Lord of it all and that we would learn this week and and grow in a deeper understanding of living life with you. Let all be worship. Let all be a sacrament that points up to you and that takes us up into the life of God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And young adults, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace all week long. May you be salt, may you be light, and may you go forth as heralders and beacons of light and hope to the world around you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said... Amen.